You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy The Brandy Show. Big show today, everybody. Our special guest is Dan Deardorff, my broadcast partner on Michigan football, NFL Hall of Famer. He'll join us a little bit. We'll talk about the 42-7 Michigan win over Penn State and Michigan's lofty ranking in the college football playoff system. So that'll be fun to talk about. We'll also go way back to 1969 for our trivia too deep. We'll take a look at the Michigan offense. We'll also take a quick look at the Big Ten. The West is a free-for-all. The East has Michigan in control. Special moments uh, from past Michigan Rutgers games. We'll also touch on the struggling Lions and the NFL. And football in the U.K. Yeah, that's football. American football, not soccer. Facts, legends, and lore this week is about the Michigan Stadium scoreboards. Let's get right to it. Let's go to college football. Let's go to the University of Michigan. They are doing extremely well. A 42-7 win over Penn State this past week was huge. And it was bigger than most expected. Penn State came in with the, the idea that this was their season. They had already lost twice. They needed to beat Michigan to kind of resurrect their season, and Michigan just pounded them. 42-7 the final. It elevated Michigan to number four in the country in the college football playoff rankings, which is huge. And my partner on Michigan Football Broadcast, Dan Deardorff, joins us now. And Dan... It is great to have you, NFL Hall of Famer, Michigan Hall of Honor, most importantly, my broadcast partner on Michigan football. Good to have you there. Good morning, Sir James. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, let's talk Michigan football and Penn State first uh, and their lofty number four ranking. Uh, do you agree with all of this stuff? And uh, how good is this Michigan football team in your estimation? Well, I think that uh, I think they're very good. Are they deserving to be in the top four in the country? Absolutely. Do you think there's anyone who is a fan of Notre Dame that would like to replay that opening game right now? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Do you? No, I do not. I do not think that they would want to play that one again. And I, 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 I of course, like everybody, you watch all the different shows. And, and uh, uh, even Paul Feinbaum, who... Is, uh, has been a harsh uh, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan critic. Uh, he said something that really resonated with me. Uh, he says, forget the stats. Michigan passes the eye test. And, and I think that's really true. I think anyone uh, other than maybe a diehard Ohio State fan or Michigan State fan who just uh, will never give Michigan credit for anything, I, if you're just a fan of college football, and you watch Michigan play, they pass the eye test as one of the elite teams in America. I don't think there's any question. And, Dan, here's the key. You and I talked about it on Saturday during the Penn State game. And I think that you want to talk about passing the eye test. This three-game stretch they've just been through, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Penn State, and how they've won those games, that has been, I think, 
the whole story of the season and why Michigan has elevated themselves so much because that stretch before the season started was going to be the make-or-break stretch. And, boy, did they pass with flying colors. Yeah, you're right, Jim. I mean, the first thing you do when a schedule comes out, well, you see the bookends. You know, we open on the road at, at Notre Dame, and we have to finish on the road in Columbus. But then your eyes immediately went right to that three-game stretch. And you're going, well, that is going to make or break Michigan season. And, you know, again, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, trying to be realistic at the start of the season would have said, hey, if we could win two of those three, I'd be pretty darn happy. Uh, not only did we win all three, we won all three decisively, and especially against uh, Wisconsin and, and Penn State. I mean, we just crushed them. We just obliterated them. And, and the quality of that win on the road in East Lansing, um, it, it, it's, I, I'm telling you, I can't be congratulatory enough to this football team. They, they deserve a pat on the back. They do indeed. And now let's go to the whys. Uh, this team has improved since game one. You and I both said coming into the season, got to get a better play out of the quarterback position. And that was Shea Patterson, kind of an unknown quantity. Even though he had great stats and a great reputation coming up from Mississippi, he still had to do it in the winged helmet. And the other one was the improvement of the offensive line. If those two things happened, we thought Michigan had a shot. Is that the why this team is where it is right now? Uh, Yes. Uh, We knew what we had defensively. Uh, uh, They might be, uh, you know, Alabama would have something to say about it. But the Michigan defense is in the discussion for the best unit in, in the entire country. I, there's no one who would argue that point. But where we, when you look at Michigan now and you look at their offensive schemes, you look at the plays we run, and you look at the execution of those plays, it bears no resemblance to the team that opened the season in, in South Bend. And, uh, again, you just can't expect uh, Shea Patterson and, and the skill set that he brings to be on full display in his very first game. Uh, it was just unfortunate that we had to open up against Notre Dame, a quality team like that, that in my estimation, uh, offensively uh, played above their pay grade. And you know what? It's, it is what it is. But I, when you look at this Michigan offense, the way they're running the zone read now, the way they're running some of the run pass options, and you look at the confidence of both the offensive line and Shea Patterson, we bear no resemblance to the team that went to South Bend in late August. And you know the thing I think that's kind of cool about this Michigan team? You and I were raised on Shem Beckler. And Shem Beckler was the guy that said, look, you have to get better every week. And you got to be playing your best football at the end of the season. In my opinion, what Jim Harbaugh has done is taking a page out of Bo's book. Because this team, from beginning to where they were against Penn State this past week, has improved more than, I want to say, anyone in the country. And that's what I think is putting them where they're supposed to be or where they want to be. And that improvement may not be over just yet. No, that's a point really well made. And, and, you know, I think I've always said this about Jim Harbaugh. A lot of times uh, you will find quarterbacks who become head coaches they, they can't help themselves. They're a quarterback, and they coach like quarterbacks. They, they love the big play. They love, you know, they, they love wide open spread off. Jim Harbaugh is a former quarterback 
who coaches football like he played middle linebacker. <laughs> and <laughs> I love that. And he does, doesn't he? I mean, he's all about physicality at the line of scrimmage, hammering away at a team, uh, and he, though, because he knows those two- and three-yard runs in the first quarter become five- and six-yard runs in the third quarter, and a couple of them are going to become 50-yard runs in the fourth quarter. It's, you know, the guy, uh, he's got a philosophy, and you see the team executing it at a better at a better clip every week as the season goes on. And I think your point's really well done because, you know, you think about a quarterback and you think about throwing the ball and you think about spread formations, but if you are a fullback, a true dyed-in-the-wool fullback or a big tight end, you look at the Michigan program and go, I want to play there in that offense, no don't you? No kidding. That's, uh, you know, how many times do we have three tight ends on the field at, at the same time? And, and, and that opens up, uh, it, it, it opens up the running, but it really opens up then the play action passing because, right. uh, you could, we could like Penn state, they were selling out to, to defend the run to such a level. Uh, I wanted coach Harbaugh to do more play action passing, but he knows what he's doing because every time he opted to run one, uh, the guy's wide open and I uh, know it's a, uh, it's been fun to watch his team grow. It has indeed. While we talked a lot about Michigan, I want to talk to you now and just have some fun. Uh, we do that during the broadcast booth, and I know that during the games we have fun. And I don't know how many times I got the question this week. People came up to me after the game and said, did Dan really fly the Goodyear blimp? <laughs> and I said, no, I said, yeah, he wouldn't have said it if he didn't. So I told people, I said, listen to the podcast this week. I'll ask him how that came about. So how did you get at the controls of the Goodyear blimp? Well, the Goodyear blimp uh, was a staple uh, of every Monday night football game uh, that I broadcast. They were there probably 95% of the time. And uh, they came to uh, uh, the blimp travels around the country. And they came to St. Louis uh, one time and in the spring, and, and I got a phone call from the Goodyear people, and they said, uh, hey, would you like uh, to take your family and go up on the blimp? We're going to be out at the Spirit of St. Louis Airport. I said, yeah, I'd love it. So we went out there, Debbie and I and the two girls, we got on the, we got on the blimp, and while we're up in the air, the pilots go, uh, you've got your pilot's license, don't you? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I've got my own airplane that I fly around and they said well you want to take a spin with the blimp and I said sure so I slid into uh, uh, one of the seats and uh, and uh, uh, away I went uh, now I got to tell you uh, the blimp isn't all that responsive <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, uh, it's not it, like one of those f-16s is it <laughs> it does not corner like a Ferrari let's put it that way <laughs> but no that was uh, it was really interesting and of course I grew up in in Canton, Ohio, and the Goodyear blimp was stationed for years up in Akron, which was the home of Goodyear, just about 20 miles away. So, no, it was – I wouldn't make that up. I actually flew the blimp. I'm glad you did, and thanks for telling the story. And you also mentioned you grew up in Canton. How big is it for you that you're a kid growing up in Canton just down the street, and then after your professional career you get inducted into the Hall of Fame just a couple blocks away? That had to be huge oh. for you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to put into words. Yeah. But I was uh, 13 years old uh, when I stood with my dad, and we watched Pete Rozelle put a shovel into the ground to 
turn over some dirt to begin construction of the the building itself. When I started in 1962, I would ride my bike down there. It was only a mile from my house. I'd ride my bike down there, watch the building uh, being built. I'd walk through it while it was under construction. And then I went to every Hall of Fame game, every enshrinement ceremony, and until I started playing in the NFL. As it turned out, there was another guy standing there with his father uh, watching uh, that groundbreaking ceremony, and his name was Larry Zonka, who uh, grew up just about 20 miles up the road. And as it turns out, we were both standing there at the uh, at the same time. It's a it's a great story. The other thing about you, and I think people don't realize, is that you're a broadcaster, and you made your fame, of course, on network television and Monday Night Football. But I tell people, I said, no, no, wait a minute. This guy trained to do this long before he made Monday Night Football with Frank and Al. You actually started broadcasting and looking for a career while you were still in the NFL and working in St. Louis, didn't you? Yeah, I, I worked at a at a 50,000 000- Watt Clear Channel Station in St. Louis, KMOX, and uh, where Jack Buck was our sports director. I'm in a sports office with uh, uh, some young up-and-comer named Bob Costas. Uh, there was a whole group of us there. And the last six years uh, of my playing career with the St. Louis Cardinals, I actually, in the off-season, worked at KMOX. And I cut my teeth uh, in the radio business. I uh, It's where I learned how to be a broadcaster. And and then when I, you know, finally retired from playing and went into television, I, I was way ahead of the game because I knew the ins and the outs of the business. In other words, you paid your dues in this business, and a lot of people don't realize that you just didn't walk off the football field into the Monday night booth. You took, had, you, uh, had to, you had to learn this. Thousands of hours behind a microphone. Exactly. And the other thing about those thousands of hours, you have had such a great uh, history of working with some of broadcasts giants. I think of Keith Jackson, who recently passed away from college football. I think of Al Michaels. I think of Frank Gifford, Jack Buck, another one, uh, Dick Enberg, who recently passed away. Talk to us a little bit about those great broadcasters and how they kind of molded you into how you broadcast oh, uh, today. It was, I, I, I was never in the broadcast booth with someone who wasn't really good. And, uh, I've worked with, uh, I did games with Ray Scott. Uh, I did games with uh, Lindsey Nelson. Uh, I, I, I got a chance. Dick Stockton. I, I got a chance to be in the broadcast booth with uh, guys who, I, I mean, I'm standing next to Ray Scott, and all I can hear him say is uh, Bart Starr and Boyd Dowler, and because I grew up listening to him call the Green Bay Packers games, and and Lindsey Nelson uh, again. I just I pinched myself going, can this really be happening? And these guys were really, really good, too, and they were good to you. That's what I think about broadcasters, uh, the Keith Jacksons uh, and the Enbergs. Uh, Dick showed up when you were inducted into the National Football Foundation Hall of Fame ceremony back in Ann Arbor. And Dick Stockton, who went to Central Michigan, excuse me, Dick Enberg, who went to Central Michigan, came down and he was there for you. Uh, I think those guys are really the salt of the earth, and they are more uh, what they do personally and how they treat young broadcasters, I think, is their legacy as opposed to what they did on the air. Well, we, we called Dick uh, Enberg the professor because he actually was. Uh, he actually was a professor at the University of, of Indiana. You're right. He's a, he's, a, he's a chip, and he loves 
being an alum from Central Michigan, but I he got a master's at Indiana and and he taught class there. And, and you're right, Dick is so great was so gracious to young up and coming broadcasters. You know, we'd be in the booth; it'd be an hour before kickoff, and some some kid who was there in the the press box that if he if he stuck his head in and just said, Mr. Enberg, could I say hello? Dick was always so gracious, spending time with him. Uh, it was He was a true gentleman. He, he really, really was. And I was uh, fortunate to, to spend a lot of years with Dick. And you have a, a great history with uh, the, one of the current great broadcasters, Joe Buck, who, of course, is, does everything for Fox. And you used to bounce him on your knee, didn't you? Yeah, Joe gets tired of hearing that story because <laughs> Joe, uh, Joe, Joe's real thin right now. But when Joe was about nine years old, Joe was carrying a few extra. He was a he was a chunky lad. He reminded me of myself. And yeah, one time I'm down in uh, uh, Tampa, St. Pete, where the Cardinals, uh, the baseball Cardinals, had spring training, and Jack Buck and Mike Shannon are uh, calling the game, and I'm right behind them, and. I've got my uh, leg up on a chair, my one leg up on a chair, and I got Joe sitting on my knee so he can see over his dad's shoulder and watch the game. And my leg went to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great story. I, of course, all these years later think that funny. uh, I think that story is hilarious. I think Joe is over it. Yeah, probably (laughs) is. (laughs) Last question, then we'll get to Trivia Too Deep. And I'm not going to give you a tough one on Trivia Too Deep. But – you oh, came back. Oh, no, let no. me tell you, they're, they're, they're all tough. Yeah, no, this one won't be tough for you. 1969 Michigan offense. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you in a minute. But last question, you came out of the network broadcast booth. You retired. And you came back to do Michigan football on the statewide radio network. That wasn't because you had any professional issues in regards to that. You'd reached Mount Everest in broadcasting. It was your love of Michigan, wasn't it, that brought you back? Well, there were a couple of things. Um, one, uh, and you know this, for years I told you that when I retired from doing network television, I had asked you if, if I could come into the booth and just do one series with you uh, doing Michigan football because I just it, it, it's something I never got a chance to do to broadcast a Michigan, a Michigan game. So uh, I, it was always on my bucket list, but – Dave Brandon uh, talked me into doing it uh, for two reasons. One, my love of Michigan. And, Jim, I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't working with you. Well, Uh, thank you. You and I, I was 19 years old (laughs) when I met you. You were 18. Uh, That was a long time ago. And uh, I started, basically, my football career being a teammate of yours at the University of Michigan. And now I'm finishing my broadcast uh, career uh, with you again. And uh, that's why I'm doing it. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you're doing it because for me to work with you, it's kind of like my Mount Everest. So I really appreciate you coming on board. And what's most fun of all is your love and passion for the University of Michigan. And that, to me, says volumes about you and where you came from and uh, what you mean to this university, and I want to thank the, you very much for the that. Funny part, the funny part of it is, my first year in 2014, I'm, I'm thinking, really? <laughs> <laughs> you mean you didn't like that 5-7 and seven season? <laughs> I, I, can, this, can this really be happening? 
we, you know, we're talking about the Rutgers game this week. We went to Rutgers and got beat. And I, I, I know. I, I I started to think after a while that this was my fault. No, no. I thought you... somehow I was to blame. No, no, no. You're not to blame. Look at us now. We're ranked number four in the country in the college football playoff. So and let's you hope... and I are going to take all the credit for uh, it. Absolutely. And let's hope we wind up uh, in that final four playoff uh, after winning a Big Ten championship this year. It would be great. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't uh, that be something? Love to be in Indianapolis and have that opportunity. All right, let's go to Trivia 2 deep. This is it, Dan. You know this. You won't have a problem. The starting offense in the 1969 Michigan Wolverines. Left tackle. Oh, wow. Left tackle. Uh, well, of course, Don Moorhead was our quarterback. Right. Uh, Billy Taylor was our running back. Correct. Uh, Fritz Seifert was our fullback. Well, Garvey. Well, Garvey Craw. Right. Number Garvey, 48. Yep, Garvey and, and Fritz both. Yes, all right. Of course, the great Jim Mandich, our captain, was our tight end. Correct. Jack Harpering was the left tackle. Correct. I believe the left guard would have been... Uh, Richard Calderazzo. Uh-huh. Center was Guy Murdoch. Right. Uh, the right guard was the bomber. Bob, Bobby Baumgartner. Absolutely. Good one. And uh, and I was uh, the right tackle. And uh, wide receivers, uh, uh, Billy Harris, Paul Staroba. That's exactly uh, right. And who was, yeah. our, who was that wing back? You remember? Oh, uh, God. Oh, uh, sure. Glenn Dowdy. Glenn Dowdy and remember John Gabriel. There you go. That's yeah. that's great. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to believe Gabler keeping Glenn Dowdy off the field. No but, kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that was, was one. A, of, uh, that was one of the great. Know, and I'll say this about our 1969 team: I was an offensive player, and of course, the offensive guys always think the sun rises and sets on them. Uh, we beat Ohio State, and we went to the Rose Bowl because. We were a sensational defensive football team. And, you know, we won that Ohio State game because they completely throttled Ohio State. You know, that was Marty Huff and and Mike Taylor and Pete Newell and on and on and on. Henry Henry Hill, Tom Curtis, Barry Pearson. What a great defense. That that was a sensation. And then, of course, Barry Pearson and, you know, his special teams play. That, that That was a really, really good football team next year's our 50th anniversary hard to hard to believe uh, seems like it was yesterday the surprising thing to me is how the rest of you have aged and i've stayed so young it, it uh excuse me it, it's one excuse, it's a medical marvel excuse me well you <laughs> you are a medical marvel you've got more titanium in you than i think uh callaway puts in their drivers uh no question i did i i a whole golf bag that's for sure <laughs> Hey, Dan, I can't thank you enough. One of my big things this year on this podcast was I wanted to get you on, and uh, gosh, this conversation's been super. I thank you very uh, much I, for joining I us. I listen to you every week, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't ask for a recipe. Well, I don't have time for a recipe. We went too long on the interview. <laughs> Next week, I'm thinking of doing sausage rounds, which I've got. Oh, yeah, they're, oh. they're, it's like Velveeta cheese and, and bulk sausage, and you put it on a little... Uh, rye toast thing or i've got a great corn pudding recipe i'm not sure which any like yeah yeah any like that's the i love corn pudding. okay i'll give you i'll give you next week listen in i'll give you my corn pudding recipe okay that's the only way i get it i gotta listen in you're 
You're a hard man. I got to tell you what. <laughs> thank maybe, you, Dan. Maybe this week I'll give it to you. All right, Daniel, yeah, thank you, you very it. much. I'll talk to you this afternoon. You got it, pal. All Bye. right. That's Dan Deardorff, our guest on The Brandy Show. I, I can't tell you how much fun it is being with Dan and talking with Dan and working with him. Uh, he's a delight. He knows football as well as anybody. And uh, nobody is quicker. Nobody is more glib. Nobody has a sharper wit than Dan Neerdorf. Uh, I just enjoy his company and uh, what a great career he's had. Hopefully you guys got a little taste of, uh, I call him the world's most interesting man. The guy that did the Dos Equis commercial shouldn't have been doing it. Should have been Deerdorf doing the most interesting man commercial. And he's also the great and powerful one. But anyway, um, I'm glad you guys had an opportunity to listen to Dan and uh, enjoy his personality besides just his broadcasting and what he thinks of the Michigan Wolverines. Speaking of Michigan Wolverines, we've got Rutgers this Saturday. The Wolverines are favored by 38 points. Five touchdowns they're favored. Now, my only question there for Wolverines and Michigan fans is be careful. Uh you can't afford to stumble. Now, you shouldn't stumble against uh, Rutgers. They're just not a very good team. Uh, Stats-wise, they're at the bottom of the Big Ten Conference in a lot of things. But you just can't underestimate the emotions of young men. And I think that Michigan has to go in there with a focus. And this is where I think senior leadership is a key on this football team. They keep their focus, then everybody will follow along. They have to play hard, and most importantly, Avoid injuries. That is the whole key. Let's go around the Big Ten real quickly. I just want to talk about the Big Ten this week. In the West, the biggest game is Northwestern at Iowa. That is almost, I think, the finish of the West. If Northwestern beats Iowa at Iowa, they're pretty much into the Big Ten championship game. Because Northwestern has Minnesota on the road and Illinois at home, and they're following two games. Their closest pursuers, Purdue, Wisconsin, have uh, lost to Northwestern. So the Wildcats have the tiebreaker over those two teams. So North, Northwestern, if they beat Iowa, I'm telling you what, Northwestern looks like they're going to be in the Big Ten championship game. And that would be a rematch. If Michigan runs the table, that would be a rematch in the Big Ten championship game between Michigan and Northwestern, which Michigan fell 17 points behind in Evanston earlier this year, came back to win at 20-17. to 17. In the East, uh, I look at two, two teams that are really vying for that last chance to maybe be in a situation where they control their own destiny. At Michigan State, at East Lansing, Ohio State comes to visit. Uh, Ohio State's 3-0 in the division. Michigan State is 3-1 in the division. If Michigan State wins... Ohio State pretty much is out of the Big Ten championship consideration. Michigan State still has a a ghost of a chance. But, again, Michigan has the tiebreaker over Michigan State because they beat them in head-to-head competition. Uh, Inter-division play, Wisconsin is at Penn State. That's, That's a big game and a big matchup between two very, very good football teams. Those are the three big games to watch, I think, in the Big Ten. Uh, last week, Northwestern lost to Notre Dame 31-21, and Purdue beat Iowa 38-36. So that's why that Northwestern-Iowa game is going to be so huge. Both teams coming off a loss. Both teams know that that game in the West is critical. Meanwhile, we talked about Michigan against Rutgers. Well, back in 2016, Michigan beat Rutgers in Piscataway 78 to nothing. Yes, 78 to nothing. 
And it was one of those games where Michigan just went up and down the field at will and scored like crazy. So thanks to our friend Art Volo, who is, of course, our unofficial archivist of University of Michigan play-by-play, here is one of those highlights from that 78 to nothing drubbing as Wilton Spate connects with Jehu Chesson. Remember those names? And guess who's on the play-by-play? I am. Enjoy. Spate takes the snap, looks left, back to throw. Now he steps up in the pocket, throws the ball deep down the left sideline. That ball is caught! Touchdown, Michigan! Holy cow, with a diving grab! Jay Hugh Chesson and the Wolverines extend their lead. The Brandy Show is a Zing Media Group production. Zing Media Group, tell your story. Hey, welcome back to the Brandy Show, everybody. We're going to talk about football, not soccer, but football in the UK. That's American football in the UK. And you're asking yourself, what are you doing that for, Jim? Why are you going there? Because I think this is a really interesting story. Uh, Gridiron Magazine is a publication in the UK, and they actually are a publication that is promoting American football in the UK. And we are joined by Matt Sherry who is one of the editors, one of the publishers of this magazine. Matt, you're right now calling us internationally from Canada. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Jim. We're on a, we're on a two-week road trip at the moment that obviously brought us to the big house, which is where we met you on Saturday. We were in Boston on Sunday for Patriots Packers. We were actually back in Ann Arbor last night, but we, uh, we then drove on to Niagara Falls and we're going to go and visit the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL today. And then you've got the Steelers-Panthers game. You're going then to the Hall of Fame in Canton. And then you're going to be back on Saturday for the Michigan State-Ohio State game and then back for the Packers-Dolphins games at Lambeau. Is that what you're doing this three weeks? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a busy trip, but a really cool one. We've got, we, we do one every year, basically. We, we spent... We spent a couple of weeks last year in, in the deep south, Alabama, Louisiana, and this year we we decided to, to come and visit around the Great Lakes and, and see all those teams. So, yeah, we, we do it once a year to do interviews and collect a lot of content, and it's, it's always a great trip. You say you do interviews and collect a lot of content. Talk to me about the content you're getting, and where are you putting it? Where does it go, uh, and is it promoting the game of American football in the U.K., and how does it how is it received? It's received really well. I mean, the majority of it goes in, in our magazine, monthly magazine that we run during the season. Um, there has a, a really grown subscriber base built upon kind of the, the NFL games in London where, I mean, there were 270,000 fans attended NFL games in London this year. And, and we also run it, we do a couple of podcasts, uh, an NFL one and this year a college football one. So, for example, we were really fortunate last night that we interviewed... Um, Chase Winovich and Rashan Gary one-on-one at the Michigan facility. And, um, and yeah, that the idea with that is if, if Rashan declares for the draft, those two guys will be on the cover of our of the draft issue of the magazine, and then that content will be spread and, on yeah, social how, media channels with video and also on the podcast too. Right. How are you received in the UK? I mean, do you find – I mean, you said your subscribership is growing – do they know these players? Do they know your Rashawn and Chase? They probably know NFL players more, don't they? 
Yeah, absolutely. NFL's very much the, the more dominant one. But, um, I mean, the college podcast we started this year, and it's been really successful so far. So, I mean, college football's available to watch in the UK every Saturday on on cable television and also a subscription service by ESPN that actually is the the sponsor of the college podcast that we do. So, so it's definitely predominantly NFL, but we... I mean, we love the game of college football in terms of gridiron, and we are trying to, to promote that element as well. I mean, we, we said to you on Saturday, we almost enjoy the college game more than the NFL game now. So we are, we are trying to kind of bang that drum for college football as well, and, and the interest levels in that are growing too. Matthew Sherry of Gridiron Magazine in the UK. Here's the key question. Why are you doing this? Why, why did the idea come to you that, hey, let's promote American football here in the UK? I mean, I've been a fan of the game for, since kind of the late 90s, and, and I was a, a journalist covering traditional UK sports, cricket and, and football or soccer in the UK. And, um, I mean, I, as part of my job, I went to cover a couple of the NFL games at Wembley, and, and, and I just kind of got the bug for it, really. I love the... From, from a media perspective, it's great because of the access is, is so much better. I mean, just being able to go in the locker room after the game, for example, and get one-on-one interviews is something that would be... I mean, there is no way you would ever get that kind of access at a Premier League soccer team, for example. So, fell in love with that side of it. And truthfully, just fell in love with the game. I mean, I, it's, it, it, was, it was my favourite sport at that point, and it, and it continues to be. And, and fortunately enough, I, I'd done work for a, a magazine company before, and and just had the idea and pitched it to them. And, and they were intrigued because they saw at that point, I think it was two games at that point at Wembley, selling 90,000 tickets a game. And, and, and I mean, the international series now has been running for well over a decade. Every game's been a sellout. And, and there are more and more games. I mean, there's four games again next year, and I'm sure they'll sell out as well. So it, it's driven by the interest in the game and knowing that there was an opportunity there, but also for me personally, driven by just the love of the game as well. Okay, Matt. Folks in the United States, uh, people listening to this podcast, where can they find your your video podcast or your magazine, your publication, Gridiron Magazine? I mean, the best place to, to check out everything we do is on, on Twitter. We are at Gridiron on Twitter, and um, the website is gridiron-magazine.com. And, I mean, for folks listening to this, for example, we'll, we'll have in the next three or four issues a piece on Jim Harbour and also a piece on on Rashan and Chase as well. So there's a digital offering on the magazine as well. So if people want to get the digital mag, they can. And also if they want to see the interviews, then we'll, we'll be promoting the videos online. So gridiron-magazine.com? Yeah, and that's got access to everything, our podcast and, and everything that we do. Well, we hope to get a lot of people there. Last question for you before we let you go, because I know you're on your way to Hamilton to watch the Tiger Cats play. Um You've been in this country for now three weeks. You've seen a game at the Big House. You're heading to Lambeau. What's what's your top of the list? What did you like best? What have you had fun? You saw the Patriots play. What's kind of at the top of the list uh, as as far as what you've seen in the last three weeks so far? Um, it, it was. I'm not just saying this, but I mean for me, I I support both Michigan and the Patriots, so it was a pretty awesome weekend. But the Big House to me just had that that extra special feeling and, and I've not been to Lambeau before and I think that might that might potentially top it but for me as a, as a guy who follows Michigan that, that was sitting at the top of that stadium and having that view of the whole stadium was, was absolutely incredible so the, 
the big house so far has been the, the top part for me. Well, Matt, we appreciate you joining us on the Brandy Show, and uh, hopefully folks will uh, take a look at Gridiron Magazine. Uh, it's uh, basically working with the U.K., trying to promote American football. But for folks here in the States, they ought to give it a shot, too, because I'm sure there's some interesting articles and a little different take on football uh, in regards to what you guys do. Matt, thanks for joining us on the Brandy Show. No worries. Thanks, Jim. You bet. That's Matthew Sherry from Gridiron Magazine, who is uh, making sure the folks in the U.K. get uh, their share, their fix, if you will, of American football. Uh, Let's go to the NFL now, and we'll finish things out on this week's edition of the Brandy Show. Uh, you got to go to the Lions first, and Minnesota defeated the Lions this past weekend 24-9. The Vikings got 10 sacks on Matthew Stafford. That's 10 sacks. That's double-digit sacks in one game on Matthew Stafford. He was 25 of 36 through the air. So with 10 sacks, he went back to throw 46 times. Folks, that's not how you win football games. You must be able to run the ball. The Lions rushed for just 66 yards. They had 70 snaps to Minnesota's 46, and yet they lost 24-9. A defensive score basically put it away, a fumble returned by Daniil Hunter, who had three and a half sacks by himself. The Lions are 3-5 and five, heading to Chicago, where they take on Khalil Mack. That is not a good prospect for the Lions heading on the road to take Chicago on another divisional team. The managed the Lions managed just three field goals. Three field goals against Minnesota. This is the week after they traded away their best receiver in Golden Tate. You wonder right now about this team, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to tell you that these are the facts. You know, the players say that, hey, we've got to play better. And I agree, they have to do that. And they've got to say that. The question is, can they play better? Do they have enough now with the loss of Golden Tate and the fact that against Minnesota, a great defensive team, their offense only generated nine points and three field goals? you got to wonder, is this offense got enough to play better and compete with the teams in the National Football League that are on a playoff run? And that's where I think the Lions have to ask themselves that question. The other, I think, key is, I'm sick and tired of people out there that are calling Matthew Stafford out, okay? Matthew Stafford, in my opinion, is an elite quarterback. He gets sacked 10 times. What do you want him to do? You think he can carry the team on his own back and win games? If you get sacked 10 times, that means that somebody else up there isn't getting the job done. That means your offense has got a problem. If you can't run the ball and and you get sacked 10 times, it's not your fault. People are calling for his head. They're calling that he should be traded. Well, he's as good as you're going to get. There are every other team in the National Football League, say five or six, would take Matthew Stafford in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. He's a quality quarterback. He is the face of the Lions franchise. If they put people around him, if they surround him with quality players, Matthew Stafford will be just fine. So get off his back. This guy can play the game. And I just am sick and tired of him being the uh, whipping boy for the Lions' problems when the poor guy gets sacked 10 times. Nobody's tougher. Nobody has, uh, wants to win more. And yet, he's the guy that takes the heat. And I know that comes with the position. 
But I'm sick and tired of it. From this perspective, from my perspective, get off his back. This guy can dead flat play the game, and the Lions are lucky to have him. And if they got rid of him, this team would be in worse shape. I'm telling you, that's a fact. Now let's go to the NFL. Overall, the Rams lost to New Orleans, okay? And those two in that football game played great. It was an offensive explosion. And those guys, the way I look at it right now, and there's talk that Des Bryant, the great receiver from Dallas, might even join New Orleans. Well, if he does, that gives them another offensive arrow in their quiver. Uh, Those two teams, the Rams and New Orleans, may very well meet for the NFC Championship in a trip for the Super Bowl. That's the way I see it right now. I really see only Carolina as a possible spoiler to that, and then way outside the box, dark horses to get to that NFC title game. And, I mean, these are dark horses, Uh, Minnesota and Atlanta maybe. But uh, right now, I mean, the Rams and New Orleans and the NFC, they're the two teams that I think, at least at this point, barring injury, should meet for the NFC championship. In the AFC, New England and KC are the front runners. The Steelers, Houston, and L.A. Chargers are showing up in the race. But I still don't think any of those teams have enough to challenge KC and New England. And New England already has a victory over Kansas City in the regular season, so they may have a little leg up. But they've got to keep winning because I think whoever gets the home game in the AFC championship game, if it's KC or if it's New England, I think they get the win and they go to the Super Bowl. But there's a lot of season left, a key injury here or there, and that all could change. All right, here we go. Facts, legends, and lore. Michigan Stadium, ladies and gentlemen, going back to the Wolverines in Ann Arbor. Michigan Stadium, for your facts, legends, and lore, was the first stadium to use electronic scoreboards as official time. Doing so when it installed the electronic scoreboards at both ends of the stadium. This goes back to 1930. That's right. First ever electronic scoreboards as the official timekeeper back to 1930. For years, Michigan Stadium was one of a few college stadiums to feature video scoreboards on each end of its facility. In August of 68, in August of 68, the scoreboards at each end of the stadium were replaced at a cost of $75,000. Then in August of 2011, the scoreboards you now see were erected at Michigan at a much larger cost than that $75,000. I think one of the panels in the video screens probably cost 75000 But they are state-of-the-art technology for the videos, live pictures. They're all high-definition. The scoreboards now measure 4,000 square feet. They are 85 feet wide and 47 feet high. How about that? And that comes from being the first electronic scoreboards back in 1930. Michigan is the leaders and best, after all. Hey, thanks for joining us on The Brandy Show. Thanks to Art Volo again for his highlight of Michigan Rutgers. Don't forget to tune in Saturday for the Michigan game against Rutgers. That game starts at 345, so make sure you tune in around 3 o'clock for our pregame. And then John Jansen and I will be broadcasting Michigan versus Rutgers and the Wolverines protecting that number four spot in the National College Football Playoff rankings. And by the way, I want to remind all of you, we're going to have a live Brandy Show broadcast of our podcast. It's going to happen Monday, November 19th. Monday, November 19th from Carl's Cavern. Carl's Cabin is near Ann Arbor. It's at 6005 Godfordson Road in Plymouth, Michigan. 
It's really right close to Ann Arbor, halfway between 275 and 23 off of 14. 6005 Godfrinson Road. At 6 to 7 p.m., we'll have a meet and greet immediately following. Scheduled guests for that show, John Jansen, Jerry Hanlon, great offensive line coach. Mike Martin, former Wolverine who played in the NFL for Tennessee. And Bob Thornblade, former Michigan coach. Uh, he was actually the coach of Anthony Carter when Anthony was here, uh, hired by Bo Schembechler. There's limited seating. So let's call 734-455-8450 for your reservation. That's 734-455-8450 for your reservation. That's the Brandy Show, live our podcast. Make sure you're there and uh, we'll be able to say hello and press the flash and you'll get to see me and John Jansen, Jerry Hanlon, Mike Martin, and uh, Bob Thornblade and hear the conversation. So we hope to see you there. Thanks very much for checking us out. That's Monday, November 19th. Um, if you'd like to come across, or excuse me, if you come across our Facebook page, Jim Branstetter 76, we really would like it if you liked us. If you like us, that helps us a lot. Follow us on Twitter at Jim Branstetter. Make sure to tune in to Inside Michigan Football Sunday mornings at 1030 on Channel 7 in Detroit. We also air at various times during the week on Fox Sports Detroit. Special thanks to Podcast Detroit for their technical help each week. Thanks to Zing Media Group's Kathleen Stevens, our producer. Keep us on your radar each and every week. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks to Dan Deardorff. Thanks to Matt from Gridiron Magazine in the UK. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been The Brandy Show.